My name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and I'm excited that you guys are here. Palm Sunday. Uh, hopefully you didn't trip on the palms that are underneath some of the seats. Um, no, things didn't just start growing randomly from last week. There is purpose. We'll use them in just a second. So uh, we are in the middle of a series that we've entitled for you. We, we believe, I believe that Easter, uh, it, although it's not about you, it is for you. What Jesus did um, through his life and his death, burial, and the resurrection is for us. And we have to make that as personal as it can. Instead of sometimes we just think religiously, you know, yes, Jesus did these things, and yes, Jesus, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if we don't make it personal, it doesn't really have any effect on us. So over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've started and we've gone all through Luke. Uh, we started in Luke 4 with this idea that Jesus, you know, if he's going to, die, pay the penalty for our sins, he has to show up. So he did show up, and he spent three years doing ministry, so that was week one. He showed up for us. Um, week two was he pursues us, you know, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, that, that he goes out of his way to pursue his children. And last week we looked at um, that he was abandoned and rejected for us. He understands what we are going through. He has every ability to empathize with what we're feeling in our loneliness, in our despair, and everything else that's going on with us, because he himself has physically, emotionally gone through those things. And today, we're going to talk about the idea that he was condemned for you. And I'm going to read a ton of scripture, and not that I want to apologize for that, but it's going to be a fair amount. We're going to be in Luke 22, which is picking up right after last week, verses 66 through um, chapter 23, verse 25, but we're going to get there in a second. So before we get there, I, we've got to set a baseline. And I, I'm not, when I set a baseline, it's not because I don't think you're not smart, not because I don't think you don't know something. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page, okay? So the baseline here uh, is three things. First, and I'm going to try to explain these because I think it'll make um, his being condemned for you have a lot more meaning than just this story that we think about um, the cross and the resurrection. Uh, There's three things. First, God is a holy God, completely. And, 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 And we completely are not holy. Cannot be, will never be, there is no way for us to be holy, yet God in his holiness cannot be with things that are unholy, which is an issue, which is partly why he came. Uh, the next thing is that God is, and these two must go together, God is just and is loving. If those are separated, um, then, you know, there's an issue, and I'm going to explain those a little bit before we get in. Um, thanks for asking, what does that mean? I'm going to go there. Kidding, I wrote that on my piece of paper. I know y'all didn't say anything. Uh, but before we get into the word, let's pray. Uh, Dearly Father, um, Lord, we don't trust what others say, but we trust what you say. So, Lord, as the word speaks, I pray that we would believe, that we would receive, that we would understand that you, in your divine purpose, were condemned in our place so that we could have the life that we could never earn. That we could have the relationship that we could never have with you on our own. You, for your love, for us. And to appease your justice, you did 
what only you could do. And I pray this morning that as we hear literally the trial, as we hear your purposely taking the cross for us, Lord, I pray that we would personally let it affect us. That we would see you for who you are. That you would be a worthy person of worship. We just thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the, the first thing, God is holy and we are not. And I'm going to give you a scripture in here because it's not like, hey, I just think and believe that. We want to base uh, what we believe on the word. So God is holy. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And there's some great stuff before this. And I'm, I'm trying to like bring in as much as I can. Uh, it says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God, this is what he's talking to us. You shall be holy for I am holy. Um, and we saw this before, and we actually preached this not too long ago, or I, I talked about this on Sunday morning, this idea of what is the greatest commandment. He, he's told us what we're called to do, to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And we talked about on that Sunday that the reality is that no one in this room has done that. Anybody want to argue with me on that? Okay. I just want us to get to the same place, because I think sometimes we look around the room and be like, yep, yep, that person... Loves God with all his heart. It is something we are striving to, but it's something that we cannot conquer on our own. This is why God had to come in and do what he did for us. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all, not a Greek scholar, but all means all. So that means all of us in this room, not, not excluding me, not excluding the guy with the microphone on up front talking about this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of this standard, which is pure holiness from what God has called us to. Uh, Romans 6, 23. And, and so what, what's the cost of that sin that we have? For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We must be holy. And we've just acknowledged, you didn't like really acknowledge, but I made you acknowledge that none of us are. Outside of what God has given us, none of us are holy. None of us are in a place or a position that we can stand before God and justify ourselves, be made right. So God is just and God is loving. So let's talk about these in two. One, God is just. Does anybody want a non-just God. I mean, unless you're on the other side of going, I want mercy. Uh, but, but no one wants a God that's just going to be like, ah, don't worry about it. You tried your best, even though I, I sent my son for you specifically so that you could have the life that he can just go, ah, no problem. And I know everybody throws this name out there because you feel like you don't compare to them. But like no one wants to be like, no one would be okay for God to just go, Hitler, you know, you just did what you thought was best. It wasn't a good thing, but it's okay. No one wants that type of God. So God must be just. If God is pure and holy, we must have a God that then is going to be just. That he's going to do the right thing over and over and over again. Romans um, 3.23, the verse that we just read through the uh, 25th. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified, God making us just, 
by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let me, you like that? You like that? It's one of those words. I mean, like, it's not a word we use anymore. Go use it. Like, if this word was used in vocabulary at one point. We don't really use that word anymore. But that is an act of atoning for sin, an act of purifying, an act of cleansing. So put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It must be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, his justice. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the former sins. Everybody okay? Like, we need a God that is just. We want a God that is just. We want a God that's going to do consistently, every single time, the right thing. And not our right thing. His right thing. And the great thing is, is the Bible is filled with him saying, here is the right thing. Here is what we should be doing. And we want him to be consistent. But, so on the other side of that, we want God to be loving. And, and, and I don't think anybody in here or anybody out of here doesn't want a loving God. Our problem is we, we take that loving without the justice. Which isn't right. Is, isn't the God who we worship and love. So God is loving. John 3.16. Which lots of us have that verse memorized. But listen to this. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He loved us so much that he gave his only son. Um, Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Jesus became the curse for us. Okay, so this is our baseline. So for us to talk about the trial, which is all we're going to talk about today. Next week, of course, is going to be the resurrection. But today, the trial, that Jesus did this for us. It had to happen. And I've, I've talked about this growing up. I used to be angry all the time that why would these people, and I still am a little bit, why would these people do this to Jesus? Why didn't Jesus just like, do something about it. We talked about, I think, last week when he was caught off guard. Or not caught off guard. That's, that's not true. I just misspoke. Sorry. He was not caught off guard. When, when, that, when he was captured, or he foreknew it. Um, sorry, I'm really, you know, like sometimes you just say things. And I'm going to correct that. So when he was confronted by the troop there, like in one of the other scriptures we looked at, he's like, I can call down 12 legions. I know we did the math last week. 5,000 in a legion, 60,000 people. He could call 60,000 angels and free them from this, but that was not his intention. His intention was not to separate himself from the only thing that would bring us to him. The only thing that in this moment right now we can have access to the presence of God because of the holiness of the righteousness that God gives us through His Son. So if God 
were not just, there would be no demand for his son to suffer and die. And if God were not loving, there would be no willingness for his son to suffer and die. But God is both just and loving. Therefore, his love is willing to meet the demands of his justice. Okay, now we're going to get into the trial. And we're going to, I'm going to go through those. I'll make a few little points, but I, I want to just, I want this to be the anchor that lets you feel his intention in what is happening. And uh, if in your seat, I mean, you can pull it out if you want. There's palm branches. You've got yours, Kathy. Um, who, who grew up with palm branches, like at church? Like every, you know, Palm Sunday, you had them. They're, you're, you can take one of these on your way out. But a week before this, can I steal yours? Yeah, thanks. A week before what we're getting ready to talk about, the same people were singing the praises of Jesus and were waving the palm branches celebrating him entering the city. And I don't know if you know this, but the palm branches symbolize goodness and victory. Jesus just had a different victory in mind. They were looking for the Savior Messiah to come in and to take his kingship back like David and rout out Rome and free the chosen people. And they were worshiping and celebrating him, laying down their cloaks as he came in town, preparing the way for him to come in. And a week later, they're demanding his crucifixion. A week later, this is where he's at. He's literally... They're worshiping him. But they're wor- and here's the, here's the key. They're worshiping the wrong Messiah. Which we can do. We can worship the wrong Jesus. and Because Jesus had this conversation in the Gospels where people had set people free from demons in Jesus' name. They've done works in Jesus' name. And Jesus said, depart from me for I do not know you. So we can worship the wrong Jesus and miss it because they did. They were worshiping the wrong Jesus. They were worshiping a conquering king, which Jesus was, but just not the conquering that they wanted. They wanted a freedom in the moment when Jesus was working on a freedom for eternity. So Jesus was getting ready to prove his justice and love. So we, we pick this up in verse 66. They're going to be behind you as I read them. And I'm going to read uh, a lot of verses through. And I'll, I'll comment a little bit. But mostly I just want us to hear this. Hear it through the lens of this was God's intention. This didn't accidentally happen to Jesus. Jesus didn't get tricked into this. This was his moment. He surrendered himself to this for us. Verse 66, and he's already been arrested, he's already been taken in. In verse 66, it says, When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both the chief priests and the scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. I love this. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. They're like, tell us that you're the Christ. They don't want to hear that he is the Christ so that they can worship. They want him to say that he is the Christ so they could kill him. 
If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated. These are dangerous words. Seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. In verse 71, it says, then he said, what, not then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And when the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, because they had no authority to eliminate Jesus. They didn't have the power to kill him because they were under a ruling government that did not allow capital punishment from anyone other than them. So they take Jesus now to Pilate. Says, then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they begin to accuse him, saying, we found this man, and I love this, misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, which he had not. He actually paid his taxes through a fish. I don't know about you guys, but like, Pretty amazing to be like, man, I don't know about this tax bill I got. So I think some of you guys that fish, you're thinking, that's your excuse. Like, honey, you just never know. <clears throat> you never know. And, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered to him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no guilt in this man. I love this. In John, this is not in Luke, but in John, this interchange happened. I don't think this is going to be on the board, but in John 19, 10, it says, so Pilate said to him, so he's trying to figure out a way that he can release Jesus, trying to find a way that he can let go. His wife had had a dream, have nothing to do with this man. Like he's trying to figure out so how he can wash his hands of this moment. In verse 10, And this is pivotal. I love this. So Pilate said to him, I'm sure in a whisper, I'm sure called him into confidence in between the two of them. You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? It is my power. This is what the ruling governor is saying. Hey, I can kill you or release you. Do you not know that? If you would just tell, if you would help me out, I could do one or the other. And Jesus answered him. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. (laughs) Go into the principal's office and tell them you ain't got nothing but what my father has given you authority to do to me. Let me know how that goes. Go to your boss. Yeah, I didn't show up for work. And you can't fire me unless God wills it. I mean, can you imagine? And therefore, he, and therefore he delivered, therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So he's, he's trying to let Pilate off the hook, like and Pilate does a little bit later. So like, I'm going to wash my hands and, you know, they take responsibility. But like, this is crazy because this is the moment. Jesus isn't like trying to work his way out of this moment. He has been working his way to this moment the entire time. 
That's from the beginning. Now we see it because we've had smarter people before us and it's been recorded. But the disciples, even though he's telling them, hey, guys, this is going to happen. Hey, guys, we're going in the city. Hey, guys, I'm going to die and come back three days later. All of this, they still didn't get it. In verse five. Um, <clears throat> what? Sorry. Verse five. But they were urgent. Saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and Galilee, even to this place. And when Pilate heard, he asked whether this man was Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod, he's still trying to get rid of this. He sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. Not because he was getting ready to be in the presence of Jesus, but he was very glad that he's going to be in the presence of a magician that is going to show him a trick that is going to do some miraculous thing in front of him. That's what he was excited about. Not, oh, God's son is coming into my presence. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. I don't know if he like surrounded himself by like crippled or blind people it's like i'm sure he didn't do that but that just goes through my brain verse 9 it says so he questioned him at some length but he made no answer and the chief priest and the scribe stood by vehemently accusing him and herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him then arraying him with splendid clothing he sent him back to pilate And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day for before they had been at enmity with each other. So, you know, one good thing came out of the cross. That was a joke, sarcasm. I I appreciate some people for laughing. Other people are like, like he's for that? Those are the people that killed you? No, no. In verse 13, it says, Pilate then came, called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man, the one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Could you imagine being on trial for a capital offense and the judge saying, like, I don't find anything Wrong with what you did. Like, you're innocent in my eyes. But could you imagine the people there to witness the trial convincing the judge in that moment to crucify him? This is what's going to happen. The judge is saying, hey, I, and he's telling it to his accusers. And then he says, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Some of his disciples were probably excited at this moment. Jesus knew exactly where this was going. Verse 18, it says, But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Like This person that actually had done these things versus the one that was just told to be innocent. And Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But when they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him, the third time he said to them, why? 
What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. Remember middle school when people start talking trash to each other and other kids get around, start yelling fight. I mean, literally, the the crowd, the mob mentality ruled this, which they didn't. This was all planned, all intentional, all leading to this moment. And so in verse 24, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted, even though God, Jesus, just told him who is God who just told him that you have no power other than what is granted to you. But he's saying that their demand should be granted. In verse 25, he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but delivered Jesus over to their will. In another one of the Gospels, it literally He's like telling them, I'm not taking the guilt of this. And they, they, they demand. The ones yelling for him to be crucified, the ones that potentially were waving him into the city a week before, were now telling Pilate, be innocent of it, put the guilt on us and our children. And Pilate goes and washes his hands of this, and Jesus is led to the cross. This was the plan. And nothing was going to stop Jesus. Let me, let me tell you, just a side note, just for free. If Jesus wouldn't miss his point, he wouldn't stop or delay this part, do you think he's going to stop or delay on any other thing? His promises that he's made us, the, the truth that he spoke to us, is there anything that's going to keep him from doing what he has told us to do, which is what he told his disciples. This is where the story is ending for me, physically. He had to suffer and die. He told his disciples over and over and over again. And the disciples not only heard it out of the mouth of Jesus, but for hundreds of years they had heard it through the prophets, proclaiming who Jesus was, who the Messiah was going to be, where he was going to be born, what he was going to do, how much he would be betrayed for. There are so many things that led to this point, proclaiming it from the beginning, even Genesis 3.15. Like this was the story. This wasn't like the story got going and then all of a sudden he's like, I guess we need to bring Jesus in. We're losing the game. I've got to bring Jesus in. Bring the pitch hitter in. This was the per- Genesis 3.15. Check it out. It literally was setting the stage. It was setting the groundwork for this is where the story was going. Because if God is holy and we are not, we have an issue. I don't think there's anyone in this room that struggles with your unholiness. Struggles with you're having sin in your life. Anybody in here outside of scripturally, and I'm not talking about like, you know, well, this is what the Bible tells me. I'm talking about you just about yourself. Outside of the grace of what God did on the cross for you. Is there anyone, don't raise your hand, and I'll say, you know, like, 
Don't raise your hand. I don't think there's anyone in this room that's like, yeah, like I, I didn't need, I'll take Jesus because, you know, he did this thing and that's awesome and he loves me, but I didn't really need him. Confession is, for me, is I need him. There's no part of me that's sitting there going, man, I love Jesus, but like I did a good job. None of us, none of us have done a good enough job. The best person in here. Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our greatest works of righteousness are but a polluted garment. Your greatest effort that you feel is like, no, not selfishly motivated, literally you serve out of the goodness of your heart to the glory of God. That act of righteousness in and of itself is a polluted garment. And God understood that. There was no other way for this to happen. There was no other way for you to be connected to the Father without Jesus taking the wrath and giving you His righteousness to those who trust and believe. He didn't just give it. I don't know if you've heard all the other verses that I read leading up to this. Every one of those is for those who trust and believe. For those who receive what Jesus has done. It's not just doled out. It's for those who have decided Jesus is the Savior. It's the ones that continue to wave the palm branch. That continue to say it is victory. I have victory because of what Jesus has done. I love this. There's a... A book um, written by John Stott. I found this quote. It says, God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loved us. If it was God's wrath which needed to be propitiated, it is God's love which did the propitiating. Now there's that word again. If it was... If it was God's wrath that needed to be atoned for, it is God's love which did the atoning. This this is what sets us apart from every other religion. We have a God who did for you what you couldn't do. And is asking for you to trust and believe in that. And that trusting and believing in that sets us apart. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And we're going to have uh, communion today. Um, And let me just explain before we get into talking about communion. Let me explain communion. If you're new here, um, who who is communion for? I know that's always, yes, uh, I'm getting there. Um, Who is communion for? Communion is for anyone who has said yes to Jesus. They've trusted and believed in Jesus. So if if this is your first Sunday and you are a child of God, Communion is for you here at this house. We cannot keep it from you because communion is for his children. Side note, gluten-free bread. So, no issues there. So, how is it done? So, in a little bit, we're going to close. We're going to go back into worship. uh, And I encourage people to prepare. Uh, 1 Corinthians tells us to to check. You know, this may be a moment. Like, we don't want to just... 
uh, you know, my bread and juice, and it, it's the part of this religious service that we do. This is, this is a big moment. This is, this is us, like we just talked about, him intentionally going to the cross because someone had to pay for our sin. Blood had to be shed for it, and it was Jesus' blood and Jesus' body that was broken for us. And he tells us to do this in remembrance of us because as we take communion, it is an acknowledgement that you cannot, but he did. And the reason why he wants you to continue to take communion is because we are a people that forget. We are a people that once we get a little bit better, think we've done it. Instead of believing Jesus has done in us through us what we could not. And he's changing us so that we're becoming more like him. We're being sanctified in him, not us. It's not our work. I mean, we have to participate, but it's God's work in us. And so what you'll do during uh, the worship is you and your family or you alone, um, you can come up and grab one of the pieces of bread and dip it in um, the juice, and it's called intinction. Use that in your vocabulary along with propitiation this week and you get bonus points. God will give you an extra room in your castle in heaven. Just kidding. Just kidding. I know I shouldn't joke. Sorry. Um, But you'll take it and you can dip it in there and you can go back to your seat and take it with your family. You can go to a quarter and pray together. You can do whatever you need to do. Um, It's open and available to you. So as we get there, a just and loving God Sent his only son for you. This. And my question for you this morning is, do you believe that? I'm not saying, do you want to go to heaven and not go to hell? I think that's part of the dilemma of the South. It's like, who wants to go to? Not many of you are like, yes, I'm here for hell. Anyone? Don't raise your hand. We want heaven. And sometimes we, 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 we want heaven more than we want Jesus. And it doesn't work like that. You get you you get to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus comes and does these things in you, and in heaven is a bonus. The relationship is the key. So my question for you this morning is: Do you believe that that a just and loving God He is He's provided for you what you cannot? So do you believe that? And it's one thing to acknowledge, yeah, 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 I believe that. It's another thing to acknowledge, and here's my second question for you. Are you trusting in that? Because that's where our joy, that's where our peace, that's where the things that we desire with our heart come from, trusting in that. I mean, as we take communion, it is literally saying to us, Jesus, you did what I could not. And so if you're this morning uh, here and you're like, eh, you know, like I've played church. I played church for 18 years. I was a good Christian, Presbyterian, and Baptist. Did a little bit of both. And I, I did the stuff. I got sprinkled. And I went to the classes and I did Sunday school and I did youth group. And, and I had no relationship with Jesus. None. I mean, other than superficially, informationally, I was connected to Jesus because I knew things about him, but I hadn't submitted, surrendered, or trusted in him until I was 18 years old. It was July of 94, which is coming on 25 years. And finally, I heard a message about this relationship, not, you know, not like you're 
get out of jail free card or your go to heaven card. I'm talking about a relationship with a loving Savior that wants your life now to rule and reign in you so that you can help him change the world, change and bring his kingdom here. And, and that was a pivotal moment in my life where it changed from being something that I did on Sunday to being a person, person that I loved and worshipped. And the easiest way to love and worship Jesus is understanding that he was condemned for you. Not for the church. When he died on the cross, he was thinking of every single one of us that would choose and believe. All his children. And so this morning, I just encourage you. Like, don't just like, oh, yes, you know, it's Palm Sunday and think about what's coming next and communion. But literally sit here for a second. Worship's going to go on. You can take your time. Just answer this question, do you believe that Jesus did these things for us, that he was condemned for you? And are you trusting in that? And if, and if, if there's a struggle to answer that question, answer those questions first. Answer those questions first. And then when you're ready to come and take communion, the one thing that makes us family. You know what connects us together is this, our Father who sent his son for us to become family, to, to graft us into a people. We weren't, the, unless you were raised in the Jewish tradition, we weren't the chosen people. And he let us be grafted into his family. And that's our celebration. That's why next week, you know, these cards, I know it's like, oh, invite, but look. Talk, next week is the resurrection. Next week is the proof that what he's doing here had purpose. And it's where we get our hope and our future resurrection in him. So let's pray. Uh, dear Jesus, it is by your grace and mercy right now that we have breath in our lungs, that we have the ability to comprehend, the ability to hear and see and understand your word. And so, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that your word would have power in us, that we would see and trust in Jesus, that we wouldn't be a fickle group of people that wave the palm branches, shout victory for something that we desire, but Lord, that we would receive and trust in the victory that you bring in setting us free in you, that you giving us your righteousness. And this morning, Lord, as people are going to um, ask themselves those questions, Lord, I pray you know the hearts of man better than we do. And so, Lord, I pray for just a divine moment of us, one, acknowledging, worshiping you, and another, trusting in your truth. So as we take communion together, Lord, I pray that in us, Lord, that we would see the power and glory that you've provided for us through Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.